Thank you all for uh, sharing and leading us in, in worship and setting us up for looking at uh, a passage where we get to put into practice that we hear about how biblical times put into practice that sense of when we taste the goodness of God, we shall not want. Um, no matter what we face, when we taste that goodness, we shall not want. So we'll get to see a little bit of how Paul does that. Um, my name is Drew Smith, the senior pastor here at College Hill, and welcome to you and those that are with us uh, online. And we're walking through the book of Acts, sort of getting towards the end of this, this journey. We're in um, Acts chapter uh, 22 and 23 um, today. And we're, we're looking at what we've been uh, talking about in the songs. Just that there are difficulties in following Jesus. There always have been. Since the beginning, there have been difficulties. It has been challenging to know how to negotiate the ways of humanity according to the ways of God. That's what the church basically does. We follow Jesus in a broken world. And that's always going to go against the the grain. It's always going to be difficult within us because we're sinners and broken. And it's always, we're always going to face opposition on the outside because the world is broken. It's no different today than it was then. And so what does that look like? How do we negotiate that? How do we live in the, the, the rules of the world because we've got to breathe oxygen, we got our gravity, and we're broken, but yet we follow the ways of heaven. Uh, uh, just, just this last week, the, the church in Pakistan, a little uh, city in, in Pakistan, uh, some folks uh, made some accusations against a couple of Christians. Now in Pakistan, uh, it's a minority, sort of like the first century, uh, two or three percent of the, the, the church uh, is, uh, is two or three percent of the population is Christian. And there's some accusations made against some Christians that they did something uh defamed the Quran or Muhammad. And so then a mob came up and started to attack the, the Christians, burned down three or four churches, attacked and vandalized uh, 40 or 50 homes. Now, even if it was true, it was one or two people, not five or six churches or 70 homes. Now, that, that's pretty blatant. But I think as we look at our passage today, you'll see similar things that Paul faced. We, in our context, don't usually face those kind of things, but we do live in an age where the the church's influence is diminishing every year, lower and lower. Uh, According to, and these are Barna Gallup kind of stats, only 52% of Americans that were polled said they felt the Christian church benefited their community. Just over half. And then only a third said they really trusted the Christian church in their community. That's the world that we live in. And so we're going to face uh, opposition. We're going to face the the raised eyebrow. So how do we negotiate that? How do we neg- navigate that in our world? Because we, we're not interested in winning a popularity contest. We're not interested in winning an argument. We're interested in winning folks to the Lord. And that's what the Lord has given us. How do we, how do we do that? How do we continue to follow Jesus? Share his, live in his goodness. Live, live out of the contentment and fullness of that. And then share that with others. 
Now, in our passage today, uh, Paul will give us a few of these uh, ways of, of living according to the wisdom of God. See, it's, it's the ways of wisdom that we're talking about here. Because how do we apply what Jesus teaches us uh, in the New Testament? How do we apply that in our lives in a wise way? There are times in our families, in our workplace, at school, in our communities, there's times when we need to apply, we need to apply the, the scripture that says love covers a multitude of sins. And we let things go. There are other times that we need to apply and stand up and call out what is wrong and speak truth to our world. But the way of wisdom is how, how, with the greater purpose, ultimately, is honoring and glorifying Jesus and drawing others to him. That requires then applying some of these principles in different times and different ways. So let's look and see how Paul does this in his very challenging situation. It's Acts, we'll want to start with Acts chapter 22, starting with verse 22. And we'll read through verse 11 of chapter 23. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you again for your written word that speaks to us of the ways of life in you. And we ask your Holy Spirit to come and fill us, uh, anoint us, guide us in the ways that, that best speak, uh, that best live according to your truth in our lives. Help us to apply that in our lives. Bring, the, bring to mind situations in the past and the future in which we can apply your word today so that we honor, glorify you and we live according to the ways of your wisdom, thereby winning others to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul has been preaching in the synagogue, speaking to the Jewish leaders of the day, and while he was there, they, they, there was an explosion, um, not a literal one, but a human one, of opposition to him, and they attacked him. And that's where we're going to pick up, right where he gets attacked. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune, that's the Roman official, ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he, Paul, said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him 
and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for his, you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Paul got himself in quite a pickle there, didn't he? Quite an issue that he found himself in. And the problem was, it didn't read the first, the verse immediately before it, but the, the problem was that what Paul was saying was proclaiming the good news, that Jesus has come and now anyone and everyone is welcome to come to Jesus. See, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the ones who were there, who had a strong connection between following God and their national identity. Their, their ethnic cultural habits. And Paul now is saying, his words here are now that the Lord told him, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Jewish leaders of the day, that meant to the Romans. The Romans were the ones who were oppressing them, who were treating them like they were treating Paul. They were beating them. And, and now uh, God is saying, Yes, they come to me through Jesus. And the Gentiles, the Gentiles, they're the lowly, ungodly people. Don't you realize all the grotesque stuff they do? Yes, they can now come to know Jesus. They can come to follow God. And that caused this huge uproar, this, this explosion. So the, 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 the tribune, the Roman official, who his basic thing is he's trying to keep things at peace. He wants everybody to, to act nice with one another. And so when this happened, the tribune, he came in, grabbed Paul, pulled him and said, what's going on with you? And, and thinking that he was just a plain Jew, not a Roman Jew, he stripped him, put him on the rack, 
grabbed his hands, grabbed his feet, pulled them uh, over the rack, and then had a guy ready to whip him. Ready to, to bring him down in order to get the news from him. What exactly had he done and why was he there? Now, this was totally legal if he wasn't a Roman citizen. Roman law was you could beat people if they'd been charged with a crime unless they were a Roman citizen. If you're a Roman citizen, then you can't be beat until after you're convicted. But for them, and and it's serious distinction. So again, you see, there's a whole lot of stuff going on here about the difference between Romans and others, between Jews and others. A whole lot of ethnic division and violence even. And in the midst of that, Paul is sharing the good news of Jesus. And just sort of the way Luke puts it here, he just sort of turns to the centurion holding the whip and says to him, is it okay for you to whip a Roman citizen? And that was enough for him to put down his whip, go talk to the um, uh, the, the leader and say, the tribune and say, uh, did you know this guy's a Roman citizen? And he has this little conversation. Hey, I bought mine. Well, mine was my birthright. And he says, all right, well, let's. Paul, let's start this all over, buddy. Let's let's just get together here with everyone. Let's call the folks over and let's have this nice conversation and find out what this little indiscretion is about. This is the first lesson here. The first lesson from Paul in the midst of trying to navigate the ways of God. You have to be strategic with your influence. Be strategic with your influence. I mean, Paul had this in his back pocket the whole time. And he never pulled it out until right here. Where he's about to get probably whipped to death. And he knows that will end the journey. His death will end the journey of him taking the good news to the world. And he he wants to take this good news to the world. So at this last moment, this last minute, he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Quite strategic to pull it out then. But why do you think he waited so long? Why did he wait so long to to do this? Well, I think one one reason is because he, he it was strategic for him to not flaunt that in front of the other Jews. Because they didn't like Romans. Again, Romans were the people that were occupying their land. They were the ones that were leading them and could grab them and rack them and put them over and beat them. If they were even accused of something, and that was totally legal. So he he waited to share that until this last moment. And I think another reason he waited to the last moment is because he wanted everything on the table, literally. So that the world would see exactly what the tribune and the centurion were about to do to him. So that there was no way for them to go back on. Oh, we were just kidding. We were just threatening. Strategic in using his influence. We need to do the same. In our 
workplaces, in our communities, in our homes. We need to be strategic in using the influence that we have, the power, the position, the voice that we have in, in order to continually be able to share the good news, to continue to do what God has called us to do as His church, not to preserve our lives, not for the good of the institution, but for the essence of the kingdom of God. Now, like this this summer, we had we hosted Celebrate Summer, yeah, you know, at Patrick's Park, right up the little pocket park up here on Hamilton Avenue. And when we did so, the folks that run it said, you know, you can't have a worship service there. You know, we we don't want we want this to be for everybody in the community and not just for you know your your people. Uh, so, you know, they wanted to know what was the music, what were we going to say? And so we said, oh, no problem. You know, we, we will host it in that way. But we had Jesus University dance. Jesus University, I mean, who's going to be upset when a, a bunch of, of uh, young women, young girls from the community get up and dance in front of the group? They're going to see that and love it. Oh, but they danced to songs about Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy. Nobody cared. Should have been there. When they got out and were in front, everybody took a step close. The eyes got bigger. The smiles got brighter. And the words of the gospel were being proclaimed. And nobody complained at all. You got to be strategic with your influence playing in the Ways of the world, but according to the ways of of heaven. Next thing that Paul does here in this tight spot is he is brought before then the council, and he stands before them and said, "Hey, listen." I'm following the ways of the law. I'm a man of good conscience. And he gets slapped in the face by the guy next to him. And and then you you heard him cry out to uh, Ananias, who was the uh, leader of the council. In in, in verse 3, if you catch that, it was uh, quite stark. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Then, when he's told he's the high priest, he says, oh, I, I will abide by the law. I must respect my high priest. So the law says. Paul knows this, the, the next principle that he shows us here. He knows that God is the judge. When you know that God is the judge, then that gives you a confidence. I mean, he's one among hundreds, and yet he makes such a stark statement. He can call this sin a sin, that Ananias wasn't following the law by slapping him. And I think Paul had a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there. Ah, I didn't know you're the high priest because the high priest is supposed to follow the law. So, I will follow the law. 
and I will abide and submit to you. When you know God's the judge, you can do that. Um, He knows that God is the judge so much so that he is empowered at all situations to, to do the best he can to do the right thing. If you know that God is the judge that empowers you in every situation, motivates you to do the right thing. That's why he can stand before them and say, hey, look at my look at what's behind me. Look look at my life. Look at what I've done. I I have good conscience here. I'm okay. I'm trying to follow the law. And even when he gets slapped in the face, he can stop and say, yes, you're right. You're the high priest. I will abide by the law. I do do think here, a little aside, I think Luke is starting to paint a picture of Paul similar to Jesus. For Jesus had to go through trials. He sat before tribunes and he was slapped and beaten and yet maintained his faith in the Father, keeping his eyes on the cross every step of the way. I think he's painting this picture here. But it's a good Good time to think about, yeah, how, how much do we remember that God is my judge? It's a good thing to remember in our actions. When we're by ourselves, when we're behind the wheel of a car, when we're really aggravated or when we're hurt, when things are going really well, it's a good thing to remember That God is the judge because we want to do the right thing so that we give others no reason, no rational reason, no honest reason to oppose us or to speak negatively about us. Even when we're in the face of such stark opposition. Uh, Peter says something about this in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Here's the other thing that you see here with with Paul. That knowing God is the judge means we don't seek revenge. Knowing God is the judge frees us from seeking revenge. I mean, you see the confidence that Paul has even in the, in the midst of this. He, he is all alone, humanly speaking. But he's strong with the word of judgment against the high priests. And then he's quick to rectify his own position. And abide by the appropriate way he's to engage with the high priest. Because the act of judgment isn't his. It's God's. It's important. It's an important thing. As we seek to follow Jesus, we, we live according to the ways of the kingdom of heaven, just like Paul here. And when that happens, 
We'll get opposition. We'll be challenged. We'll, we'll have struggles. But it's not a competition. No human being is our ultimate enemy. They're the ones that Jesus calls us to love. Every human being, even those that oppose him. It's exactly what Jesus did. Remember, Father, forgive them. He's hanging on the cross. They know not what they're doing. When we know that God is judge, uh, then, then we, we're freed. Freed from being motivated by vengeance, hatred, or anger. Yeah, I, um, one of my most powerful stories of Dr. King's life is the day that his, bom- the, his house was bombed. And praise God, nobody was in the house. A third of it was destroyed. But nobody else knew that. And so the crowd started to form. People started showing up at his house with every yard tool they could find. Those that had guns, they had them out brandishing. They were ready to make this right. And Dr. King got on his front porch and said, no, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not why we are here. This is wrong. We will strategically use our influence. He didn't use those words. But that's what he was doing to pursue this to the end of the law. But we will continue to love our enemy because if our enemy leads us to act in hatred, then they have won and we have lost. God is their judge and our judge and we will follow him. And when we know that's the case, that has impact on us. For for you, it's worth thinking about. You know, yeah, once God's our judge, how does that impact how our own lives and our own decisions? What maybe do we need to to change within us? What do we need to offer to the Lord? Or how do we respond and react to those that may oppose us or wrong us or hurt us? All right, then the last part of the passage. Uh, Paul's in the council with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, Pharisees and Sadducees are sort of like you know two different theological camps that are part of the council, the ruling council of the, 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 the Jewish population there. And what Paul realizes in this, con- this uh, interaction is that the, the Pharisees and Sadducees are there and that they've got this difference and somehow he picks that up and he is himself a Pharisee and he recognizes he's got some stuff in common with the Pharisees. And he's going to play off of that. They, they may not have the same view of Jesus that he does. Matter of fact, they don't. That's why they were originally there. <laughs> but what, you, what we learn from Paul here, this, this is sort of a third principle here. Make partners with whom you can. Make partners with whom you can when it comes to the different things of living out the ways of the kingdom of God. And that's what he does. He makes a partner with the Pharisees. Hey, Pharisees, I'm with you. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the spiritual reality of angels. I believe that there is life after death. The Sadducees don't believe it. They got me here because they don't believe in the resurrection. And the great thing is, then they started arguing back and forth between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Spotlight was off, Paul. It was on them. He just sort of backed up a little bit. Let them go at it. And the Pharisees then turned to Paul. Hey, maybe this guy's got a point. Maybe it was an angel that came and spoke to him. Let's let him go. I had something similar, much smaller scale. But uh, it was my ordination presentation before the Presbytery of Charlotte um, uh, decades ago. 
uh, that they well, they would ask you, you're about to be ordained, they ask you a bunch of questions about um, uh, theology and stuff. So one of them asked me about the, the uh, he asked me what was my favorite book of the Bible. And at the time, my favorite book of the Bible, because I'd been studying it, and I knew I could answer a lot of questions on it, happened to be Romans. <laughs> So I gave my Romans it, this is why, and outlined it. And one person got up and said, you know, I think really Paul was trying to do this, this, and this. And I then answered back, so okay, I appreciate that. This is what I had. Then another guy got up and said, well, you know, I think Paul was actually trying to say this and this. Started to argue with the other dude. And then a fourth person stood up and started to say, well, no, I think Paul's. And I just sort of backed off and they argued back and forth with each other for about three or four minutes. And finally, the moderator said, excuse me, we're examining him, not one another. And it's time to finish this. So we got it done. So it worked. Like I said, smaller scale, but similarly, just know who you're you can partner with folks. Who may not agree with you totally on every jot until they may not even agree about Jesus. But you know, folks can come alongside you as we're trying to do the work of God of caring for families that find themselves in the position of homelessness or poverty. There's a lot of people that will join in doing that, even though they don't know Jesus. But we can partner to do with them. You know, as we partner with, with whiz kids and tutoring at Pleasant Hill, there's, there's teachers over there that love Jesus. And, and jump on board with. There's teachers that don't even that don't even know him. Maybe not be big fans of the church, but they love the children that they're teaching, and they're glad when we come over, and they're glad to partner with us in caring for those children. Our our goal is to honor and glorify God, to live according to the ways of the kingdom. And there's sometimes that means in this world we we partner with different people at different times who may not know Jesus, and just maybe. They may partner with us and they may see a little bit of Jesus in us. And that may move them on their journey to knowing and loving Jesus also. So, some great principles from Paul as he's negotiating, living in the ways, the, the mess of humanity, according to the ways of heaven. I wonder for you, which one resonated with you? What, what's the Spirit speaking to you about? You know, are there ways that you need to strategically use the influence that you do have? That you think you're powerless? Or maybe you have a, a whole lot of power in this world, but you forgot it, it's to be used strategically according to the ways of Jesus. How do you use that? For the good of the kingdom of God. For the ways of God to be applied. For the message of the good news to be shared. Maybe the Spirit's speaking to you about that. Uh, maybe the, the Spirit is reminding you, oh yeah, the, God is my judge. I, I live according, he, he knows what's right and wrong. And I want to live according to that. And, and also, he's also the judge of everyone else. And that impacts how I treat those that have wronged me. As I offer them to the Lord. Or or maybe God's brought some mind. Yeah, here's some folks I can partner with. Folks that, that maybe I may not agree on everything, but we can agree on this one thing that we know is the way of God, is a good thing to be done. I want to read again the last verse. In the midst of this, all that's going on, 
can imagine the chaos and the craziness and all the concern and violence that's going on. But then that evening, the Lord whispers to Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The work of God's kingdom will not be thwarted. So as we participate in what God is doing, it will move from Jerusalem to Rome. It will move across the world. It will move across the street. That his, his kingdom will continue and one day will be completed. So as we, negotiating in the challenges and the opposition that, that you face, maybe in your home, maybe in your workplace, in your community, maybe in, even in your own heart, as you face those challenges and that opposition, that the Lord will accomplish His purposes. Don't, don't give up. Taste His goodness and do not want. Take a minute here, just to silence. Just to reflect. Take into account how maybe the Spirit is speaking to you specifically through this passage in this moment. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you praise that you indeed are all powerful, all good. You are the judge of what is right and good, what is wrong and evil. And we offer ourselves to you, thankful for Jesus, that we have been made right with you because of him, not because of our own good deeds, but because of him and we offer ourselves then to be a witness to you and your love, your affection, your goodness, your forgiveness that you have bestowed upon us. The conviction that you've bestowed upon us. We give you thanks and ask your leading and and guiding for us as a community to use the influence that, that we have strategically for you. To remember in all of our decisions that you indeed are the arbiter of what is right. And that you might lead us to continue to to, to partner with others in the work of your kingdom. So that through them we might do what is good and may even be a witness to others of your goodness, of your love and affection for us. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you boldly and we lift up the needs of, that are around us. Lord, you hear the cries of our heart. We, we pray for those that are continuing to, to battle illness, cancer, disease. We, we pray your healing upon them. We, we thank you for your continued healing hand on Eileen Boyle. We pray for your continued healing upon Olivia Ann, uh, the granddaughter of... Uh, David Maggie Smith, who's in intensive care in Atlanta, we pray your healing upon her. We um, lift up before you other needs of of ourselves, of others, those needs of of job challenges, those in needs of, of, uh, of housing, 
uh, those in uh, need of, of reconciliation, of relationships. Oh, we pray for families as school is starting up. Pray particularly for those that are starting something new, those just starting preschool or kindergarten. We lift up three C's to you as they will start up in this next week. We Pray for, for those that are starting schools as they've been starting this week and next week and the families and the anxiety that can cause. We pray that they would taste your goodness. Those students and families would taste your goodness and not be in want. Uh, Lord, we, we uh, pray for uh, those, particularly that are heading off to college, particularly those that are freshmen and, and others heading off. We pray your, your protection and provision around them, that you would ground them in your truth, remind them that you indeed are, you are, are judge and you are Lord and a Savior, that they would grow in you as they take these, these steps. Pray for uh, parents and grandparents and other adults Seeking to, who will meet them in those places and those that are sending them off. And Lord, we lift up to you as well our brothers and sisters in Pakistan who are facing such direct retribution and violence. Lord, may you strengthen them, empower them to be a witness to you, to bring you glory and honor, even in the face of death and injury. May they glorify your name and the power of your Holy Spirit. We lift uh, all these things up to you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.